John chapter 15, verses 5 through 10. John 15, 5 through 10. We're in the middle of the, uh, uh, of the, the passage, the middle of the three weeks that we're going to spend looking at the vine. Uh, I guess if it were baseball, that means after this message, you would stand up and stretch, and then we would finish it next week. John 15, chapter 5. Jesus believed in the old preacher's adage, and it's not just preachers. Actually, it's a, it's a technique of speech, uh, of speech communication. But the old preacher's adage of tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. That's what we are, it's not exactly how they tell us to do it in seminary anymore, but that it is a, a, a speech technique to do that, to, to tell you what I'm going to tell you, then to tell you, and then to remind you at the end what I've just told you, because you need to hear it a number of times in order for it to, to sink in. I'm not saying y'all are dense or anything like that. Okay, I am. Uh, I'm saying that we need to hear things a number of times before we get it, I mean, especially if you're a teenager or below. Um, I mean, how many times do we have to say clean your room before you actually get off the couch and do it? Uh, so Jesus understood that about us. Remember, we're sheep, and he, he just had to tell us a bunch of times. So wh where, where we are now uh, is, is, is him, you know, in his, his life, in his ministry, we are uh, at, at the end. He didn't want any confusion about what he was telling them, so he's repeating it. He also wanted them to get this. This was his final, this is the night before the crucifixion. And if, if we haven't understood that, if I, haven't, if I didn't say that last week, um, let me say it now. This is the night before the crucifixion. This is after the Lord's Supper. Judas has left. He's talking to uh, primarily, primarily the 11, though there were likely more than that there. Uh, he may still be in the room. They may be on their way walking to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. But he, he's, he's got all of this he wants to say, and he knows that his time is limited. If you go back and you read how Jesus taught and, and what he taught throughout his three years, you can see the intensity increase as he gets to this time. It, 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 there's no more playing around, not that we have a lot of evidence of him playing around too much in his teaching, but now there's, there's, there's no wasted word, there's no, he understands, I don't, guys, listen, I don't have any more time with you. You have got to get this. That's where he is at this point in John chapter 15. So today, we're looking at what Jesus told them. Last week, he told them what he was going to tell them. Today, we're looking at the part where he actually tells them. So look at John 15, 5 through 10. Verse 5 is a very uh, popular verse. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in my love. 
in his love. So we're just going to kind of work through the passage this morning. We know uh, there, there are really, I guess, two points, three points, and, and two subpoints is what it would be. Uh, so there's not a clear delineation. This is just kind of working through uh, what Jesus said to them. First thing he tells them is that the relationship in verse 5 leads to fruit. Verse 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that remains in me and I in him, your translation may say, the same bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the version I memorized. This relationship here is utter dependence on Jesus. That's all. It is just dependence on Jesus. But it's not just, just dependence. It is incredible dependence. It is branch to vine dependence. It is, if I'm not connected, I don't make it dependence. It is the breath that we breathe dependence. It is the blood flowing through us dependence. It is our, our very food and our very drink dependence. All imagery that he has used throughout his teaching. We depend on him for everything. This is the relationship. This is not merely friendship or acquaintance. Now, it is friendship. Jesus is going to tell them here in just a few minutes, as a matter of fact, uh, not in a few minutes in here, but in a few minutes in the narrative, you are my friends. No longer are you just students, but I call you friends. There is friendship with God, but we cannot miss that it is more than friendship. Uh, depending on who you, you listen to, uh, nowadays, who, who, you, who, who your, your, your study, uh, your source of study is, sometimes you will hear Jesus referred to as a boyfriend. And the imagery there is not bad, but it is incomplete. You can find t-shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. The, the, the imagery there is not bad, but it is incomplete. Jesus is not just our boyfriend. Jesus is not just our homeboy. Jesus is more than that. Uh, boyfriend means I have certain needs that you meet, but other things I get elsewhere. Homeboy is you're my friend, and I appreciate you, and we're going to hang out a lot, but there are times when I've got to be with my family, and I get other things from other places. That is not who Jesus is. It is utter dependence on Jesus, not part-time dependence, not when I can't get what I need from somebody else, not when I need some things over here, but you can't really do that for me, Jesus. It is everything we need. Jesus is our complete source. That's the relationship. That is abiding. Remain in me and I in you. You are the branches. I'm the vine. See, your lack of fruit production is directly related to your lack of dependence. Your lack of fruit production is directly related to your lack of dependence. Is Jesus, if Jesus is just your boyfriend or if Jesus is just your homeboy, you're not going to produce the fruit that you need. You will be, there will be some fruit, there will be, uh, but it will be related to the relationship. It will only be as valuable as the relationship. Boyfriends, boyfriends you can break up, Right? Homeboys aren't always your homeboys. Sometimes they let you down. Sometimes they're not there for you. That is not Jesus. That is not who he is. And if we are going to produce fruit, it has to be 
uh, fruit born of a relationship deeper than boyfriend or homeboy, deeper than a part-time relationship, deeper than a, a Sunday morning or even a Sunday night, or even if you're incredibly faithful, Wednesday night relationship. It is an everyday, 24 hours a day relationship. It is a dependence that says, I can no more get up and, and not talk to Jesus than I get up and not eat. And y'all, I know what I'm talking about. We just started a no-to-low-carb diet. And if I pass out up here, you know why. It's because I'm not getting enough sugar. I, I, I did have a donut this morning because I didn't have any breakfast. But all this protein, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I, I need bread. I need sugar. I, I'm, I, I, I say that I've got to have something. And on this diet, I, I, I do. I've got to eat more. I'm, I'm sitting over a plate of meat going, do I have to eat one more bite? Because I don't like vegetables. See, that's the problem with this sort of diet for me. I don't like the vegetables. I don't like the stuff that would help me fill up. So I've got to eat all this meat, and I'm actually getting tired of it, and I, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud. I hope I don't get fired over this. I'm getting kind of tired of bacon. I know, I know, but when you have it two meals a day for four or five days, it actually does get old after a while. I think I need that sugar. Now, the reality is I don't. I, the reality is I can take a break from those things because they aren't things I need. They're things I like. I cannot take a break from Jesus. I cannot say, well, I don't need him today. And as hungry as I am right now, I should be even more spiritually hungry if I have not spent time with Jesus because I depend on him. He is everything that I need. And if I am not depending on him, if I'm not resting in that relationship, then I will not produce the fruit. I've told Etta, I, I would, I th I'm, I'm confident now, I would rather exercise than diet. I, I really would. I, as much as I hate moving around at all, I would rather do that than diet. Uh, but right now, if I tried to exercise, I'd fall flat. I just don't have the energy to do it because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting what I need in order to do that. Y'all, spiritual fruit is the same way. I cannot produce the spiritual fruit that I need to produce if I'm not spending time with the very source of spiritual fruit. Galatians sums it up perfectly in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Paul says that for the fruit of the Spirit, the source, the fruit of spending time with the source is love, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, uh, uh, I messed it up, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Left out two, I know if you're counting, that's all right. I'll think of them and do them in a minute. Uh, you, you, you cannot produce those things if you're not connected to the source. And you're not connected to the source if it is a part-time relationship on Sunday morning, maybe Sunday night, and occasionally Wednesday night, and if you think about saying the blessing before your meal. That's not a relationship. That's a part-time boyfriend. That's, that's a friend zone. Y'all, you, if you're young enough, you know what I'm talking about, the friend zone. Uh, we like each other, but we're going to keep a little distance. We're just friends. That's how we want. We don't even want, some of us don't even want Jesus as our boyfriend. We want the acquaintance. We don't want the homeboy that we depend on. We just want to, you know, sure, I know Jesus. We talk occasionally. I, mean, I wouldn't say we're great friends, but, you know, I like him and all. He's a good guy. You know, when I need him, I can call him. He's always there. You know, he's dependable that way, but, you know, we're not that close. That's how we want Jesus. That is not fruit-producing Christianity. That is 
well, what we're going to get to here in a couple of minutes. So if individually I am not in a relationship that produces the fruit that is necessary, the church then will not produce the fruit that is necessary. The, fruits, uh, the church's lack of fruit production is directly related to a collective lack of dependence by the people. If we are not connected to the source, if we are not dependent on Jesus, if we are not deep in our relationship individually, we will not be a church that produces fruit collectively. We will be a barren church. Are we there? Now, you don't have to answer out loud, but I do want you to think. Are we as a church producing fruit? And if your answer is anything but yes, then don't look side to side and front and back. Look inward. Are you producing fruit? And if your answer is anything but yes, then you need to look at your relationship with Jesus. Am I connected? Am I spending time? Because he tells us, next verse, the result of not having a relationship. Uh, separation leads to uselessness in verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Bottom line, if we are not producing fruit, we are useless to the kingdom. Period. We're useless as a Christian. We are pointless. We're taking up space. We're wasting air. We're eating somebody else's food. However you want to look at it, as a Christian, if we are not producing fruit, then we are useless. And the thing about the Christian kingdom is that there are no ornamental trees, no ornamental vines. We had in Kingwood uh, an ornamental pear in our front yard. Beautiful tree. Huge. It, it, it way outlived its, its normal life cycle. Uh, it had to be cut down here not too long ago. But when it bloomed, it was gorgeous, and it was, it was like a small oak tree had gotten so big. Uh, it produced flowers. We're nice, but not a single pear. It's fine, I don't like pears anyway. But it didn't produce pears. It didn't produce any fruit. You know what it did do? It killed the grass in the front yard. Grass just wouldn't grow underneath it. It was, just, it was too thick. It was too big. It was, in reality, useless. By its existence, it actually made other things worse. The front yard was ugly. This was after we lived there, um, and, and my in-laws moved in and then bought our house from us. But letters kept coming from the homeowners association because the yard looked bad. The yard wouldn't do anything else because that stupid, useless, pretty, but useless tree. Y'all, if that is us, if that is how we exist, if we are pretty, but useless, we are undermining, we are killing the rest of the ministry because we aren't producing the fruit. There are no ornamentals in the kingdom. So if you think, well, at least I'm pretty, you're not. You're destructive if you're not producing fruit. So what happens then to the useless? Well, that pear tree was cut down and thrown in a fire. Like that, amazingly, that's exactly what Jesus says in uh, verse 6. They is like thrown aside like a branch. 
and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Notice that, that it looks good. Notice the, 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 uh, the sequence. If the branch does not remain, and therefore not producing fruit, that's the, uh, the intent there, the underlying assumption, he is thrown aside and he withers. It looked good on the vine. It was a good branch. It was a pretty branch. It produced flowers. It was attractive. But it was broken off, thrown to the side, and that is when it withered. We like to think that the branches that aren't producing fruit are going to look like branches you'd want to cut, cut off. Didn't we talk about this a little bit last week with pruning? You, you cut shoots and you trim the branches and you, you even remove fruit in order to get better fruit. This branch looked good. It looked like something you would want to have on there and yet it was removed and then it withered. Now, what is this removal? What is this removal that he's talking about? Is he talking about death? Is he going to kill people? I would say not likely. But notice I leave a little room for correction there uh, because we don't want to count it out God's done it before uh, we, we can look throughout the Bible and see times where people were doing quote the right thing but they were doing it the wrong way with the wrong motives you've got uh, Samuel's kids uh, for example if you go back and and read what they were doing you have um, uh, Saul and and him burning sacrifices oh we got that stuff for you there's a whole story there we, we won't get into this morning uh the motive wasn't exactly as pure as he said it was but oh we were doing this for, for god nope nope you you've lost it lost the kingdom now they didn't kill saul right then but then you move into the new testament and you've got folks like uh, ananias and sapphira who upon being told hey i know what you did you gave the money but and said this is everything we got you were lying to god boom he dropped dead Sapphira walks in a few hours later, and she says, hey, what's up? And they said, well, basically, you're going to be just like your husband here in a couple of, couple of seconds. Boom, she drops dead. So, you know, it's not outside the realm of possibility, but that should not be our, our fearful motivation. Oh, if I'm not obedient, God's going to kill me. No, that is not the issue. That's not what should drive us. As a matter of fact, what should drive us is more along the lines of the next one, the next possibility. Does this mean God ignores those people? If, you have, if you're not producing fruit, if you're taken and put to the side, is he ignoring you? Is he taking you? We've all, I've, I've been in a lot of houses, mine included. Um, we all have stuff on the shelves that we used to use, Right? Everybody nod because you know you, you do. You don't get rid of everything that, that, that isn't useful anymore. Some of it, oh, that was, that was the baby, so we're going to keep that. You ain't had a baby in 45 years in your house, but you still got the sippy cup, right? Sitting on a shelf, it's all pretty. My parents still have uh, the, the spoon, my, our, our first food spoon. Etta has on, on the wall my first teething ring. Right? Isn't that up there? Uh, it was. Uh, I don't use teething ring anymore. I mean, maybe I don't have dentures. Maybe that's good for gums later. 
if, if my teeth fall out and I just, you know, I, I, I know my uncle used to, who had dentures loved to chew on ice, made his gums feel good. Maybe, that's, maybe I'll get back to that. But chances are I'm going to find a different teething ring, like a grown-up one or something. We, we all have that stuff, and it's useless. And, and I'm wondering if maybe that's what God does. He removes the branch, and he puts it over here, and fine. You didn't want to produce fruit. Now you can't. Now you are useless. Now you are completely unused. See, the result of this is if God removes us and, and our faith and our relationship are not leading to fruit, then when we are removed and set aside, our faith and our effectiveness wither. And we shrink and we grow spiritually frail and cowardly and useless. And that's the image that we see here. And he goes on to say, see how useless the branches are? I don't think he's talking about necessarily, though we're going to get to a third option here in just a second, I don't think he's necessarily talking about actual burning of, 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 of people. I think here it's as, as useless as those branches from the vine are, thrown in the fire pit and burned because we don't need them anymore, that is how useless you are as a church member, as a kingdom member, as a believer, if you are not producing fruit. We're just going to put you to side and you have no purpose anymore. Most likely, though, here's the third option. Most likely, he's referring to those who are really never part of the body, right? Living called out the body of the believers, the flock, or in this situation, a part of the vine. Most likely, it's people that never were a part, like Judas. Looked good, good-looking vine for three years. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody even saw it coming when he did it. He, he, Jesus tells him, what you're going to do, go and do quickly. He says, one of you among us, will, uh, among, uh, one, of, uh, one among you will betray me. Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? It's the one I'm going to give the bread to. Here you go, Judas. Who is it, Jesus? We don't get what you're talking about. They still didn't see it. I, I, I don't know, even if when he showed up in, in the garden, if the, the other disciples really still got it. Like, what's Judas doing on that side? Man, he's crazy. That Judas, you never know what he's going to do, pulling stunts and, wait a minute, a cross? I, I, I think it just took them that long to get it. They could not follow. But Judas was never a part. Jesus makes that clear. Son of perdition, set aside for this very thing. Others may look nice, look good. They, they're ornamental. They produce great flowers. But they were never a part of the garden, of the vine, of the body. And they will experience the fire. They will be removed from the vine, from the body, from the group, from the flock. They are wolves in sheep's clothing, and they will one day be thrown into the fire, the eternal lake of fire at destruction. Because though they looked good, they never trusted Christ. They were never one of his children. They were here, they sat next to you on Sunday morning for years, sang in the choir for years, taught Sunday school for years, and yet they never personally trusted Christ. How is that possible, Michael? I don't know. 
but I know it is. I know that you can spend years. I know people who go to seminary to be a preacher, and they get saved at seminary. Really? Yeah, really. Because they never followed in obedience. They never trusted Christ. Churches, then, if individuals can be useless, then churches can be useless. Just as useless as individuals. Some churches, let's be honest, some churches were never a part of the body. Ever. They were started for insane reasons. They, they were never orthodox. They were, they were always heretical. I mean, uh, Unitarian Universalist churches. I don't know if y'all have one here in Sulphur or Lake Charles. Uh, it was a good-sized one in Houston. Uh, that's a thing. Universalist, Unitarian. Universalist, everybody goes to heaven. Unitarian, there's no divine son. It's all just God. And, and basically, you can sing Rolling Stones on Sunday morning and worship just as much as you could sing B.B. McKinney. How many of y'all know who B.B. McKinney is? You don't count, Donald. Three or four. He's a Baptist hymn writer. I, I, say, I saw a few hands. It doesn't matter who you sing because, well, you're worshiping whatever God. That's a church in a label anyway. That church has never been one that was a part of the vine, a part of the body. Some churches become useless over time. They started off great. They had the vision. They had the purpose. They knew their mission, but they became useless over time. A lot of y'all began Revelation this morning. You began in chapter 1, verses 12 through 20, and it talked about Jesus holding the, the seven stars in his hand. And did you get all the way to the lampstands? You introduced the lampstands this morning. And those lampstands can be removed. That's the warning he gives. And for churches, some have had their lampstand removed, and now they are beautiful buildings that are ornaments to the past. They are set on a shelf, and some of them will never be anything but an attractive ornament, a, a, a piece, a, a knickknack, just something about what used to be because they have not been obedient. They're what we would call dead, a dead church. It did not begin with the church. It did not begin with the building. Probably didn't begin with the leaders, though I'm certain they had a hand in it over time. It began with the individual church members becoming useless to the kingdom until the rooms were full of individual people who were useless and the church as a community, as a collective, became useless because they did not produce fruit. Their separation from Christ led to uselessness. So, Jesus has been talking about fruit now for us for two weeks, for them for a couple of minutes, but he's never really been clear. Now, we can jump to Galatians, to what Paul wrote, and we see the fruit of the Spirit, and we can go to many other places throughout the New Testament, you can get those ideas, but what exactly is Jesus talking about? Well, he talks about two things fruit that, that are fruit. The first thing that, he, that fruit looks like is it looks like obedience in verses 7 through 8. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Now this is very generic. 
He doesn't, he doesn't put down a whole list of items. Do this and this and this and this and this. And see, that's never how the New Testament works. Yes, there are certain ways, certain things we aren't supposed to do. But in fruit production, Jesus never says in order that the, the fruit looks like this. He says things like, uh, uh, follow me. Be like me. Uh, I and the Father are one. So whatever I say, the Father says. So do as I say. He, he, he passes it on, passes the torch, the teaching torch, on to, to Paul and Peter and others. And they say, look at me, follow me. Now, church, he says to Corinth or Ephesus, y'all are doing these things, stop. That's not obedience. That's not fruit. You need to include these things because you're not doing them. This should have been obvious to you. These are obedience, uh, items of obedience. Those, those aren't. They, they lay it down like that, but never do we get like a 10, a, a, a list of 10. Do these things and you're obedient. Have these nine things and you've got all the fruit you need. He's very generic. But that's on purpose. Because our obedience is remaining in him. Remaining in Jesus. How do we do that? How do we remain in Jesus? Well, he doesn't leave that up for grabs. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. See, we store up his word. Do you want to be obedient? Do you want to know what you're supposed to do? Hide this in your heart so that I may not sin against God. What is sin? Would we call that? If I'm talking about obedience, sin would be disobedience. Good job. That's right. So if I'm hiding God's word in my heart so that I may not be disobedient to God, what is the opposite of that? I am being obedient. I'm remaining in Jesus by hiding his word. And I told you last week, Jesus' word doesn't start between uh, Malachi, right after Malachi and, 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 and right before Matthew. This isn't just Jesus' word and suddenly this isn't. Or we don't have Jesus' word as the red parts of this and then everything else is, well, that's somebody else's word. It's nice, but it's not Jesus' word. You know, remember? That's Jesus' word. So if we hide that in our heart, then we will not sin up against him. Then we will be obedient, and we will seek his will. That's obedience. See, obedience for you might be different from obedience for me. And not in some areas. There are some standards, some principles we apply. But for you, obedience might not be being the pastor of First Baptist Church of Sulphur. That is my obedience. Your obedience might be something different. So you cannot look at me or look at your neighbor or look at somebody else and say, well, I'm, in order for me to be obedient, I've got to be just like them. No, you don't. You have to be who God has called you to be. You have to be willing to do what he says to do. And how are you going to know that unless you're Spending time in his word. Because whether you're the pastor of First Baptist Church Sulphur or an accountant down the road or working at a plant or fixing somebody's car or cutting people open and taking out parts or fixing parts that are already in there or whatever it is you're doing, that is your calling to witness to him the mission, the great commission in your daily life. So you witness to Jesus as you're cutting people open. You witness to Jesus as you're doing plant 
things at the plant, opening valves and I don't have, I have no clue what y'all do at the plant. I'm just, I'll be honest with you. It's a whole bunch of pipes and stuff goes through them. That's, that's all I see. But I'm, I'm glad you do it. But you're witnessing for Jesus when you do that. That's your calling. That is you seeking God's will in your life. And if we're doing that, if we are spending time in his word, by remaining in Jesus, by seeking his will, then we see growth in discipleship. The end of verse 8. By this, you produce much fruit, and you prove to be my disciples. Do you understand he's telling this to the disciples? Guys, he's saying, do these things. Spend, stay in me. Keep my word. Study my word. Y'all are going to write this down, so you know, you'll, you'll have a record of it. Study it. Teach it. And in doing that, you will prove to be my disciples. If they caught that, not sure they did. If they caught that, though, wouldn't they be thinking, well, wait a minute. We're up here at dinner with you. We've been following you for three years. We left our jobs and our families for you. They've actually said that before. We, we did all these things. Aren't, aren't we your disciples? In three hours, maybe less, they're all going to run. Peter's going to stick around, but going to deny him three times. John is, uh, well, he's going to be embarrassed when he runs. Because uh, they're going to try to grab him. His clothes are going to come off. He's going to keep running. Yeah, you can read that. I didn't make it up. Y'all, some of y'all looked at me. What? There's a naked guy in the Bible? Yeah, there is. They're, they're going to scatter. The, the shepherd is going to be struck, and the sheep scatter. And he says, basically, when all this is over, you will prove to be my disciples if you spend time in me. The relationship holds. The relationship stays. The church, folks, we as a collective must be obedient. Obedient church members lead to obedient churches. That's the first step of fruit, or that's the first thing fruit looks like, obedience. Second thing fruit looks like is love, verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Remember we talked about the sheep. He brought up the Father and the relationship with the Father, and it had no... Uh, it didn't emphasize anything about sheep and the shepherd. But he brought the father up because that's everything about the sheep and the shepherd. This time, the father's love has no real relationship to a vine and branches. How does that work? Because everything is about the father when Jesus is ta- teaching. And he's telling them we have an example of love. We have an example of interconnectedness. We have an example of relationship. As the father loved the son... And as the Son loves us, then you need to reciprocate that love. Remain in my love. Remain in his love, he says. Show that kind of love. So be obedient and love. Remaining in Jesus is remaining in his love. That is remaining in relationship. Loving Jesus puts Jesus first. In reality, loving anybody puts them first. That's the whole point of love. I love them so I would, greater love has no man. I think I'm going to, we're going to talk about that here in just, you know, a week or so. Then this, and he lay down his life for a friend, putting that person first. Loving Jesus means I put him first. 
before my wife, before my kids, before myself, before my family, before my friends, before anybody else, Jesus is first. That's the relationship. We maintain our relationship by obedience. We maintain our love by obedience. Our love in Him. Our love for Him. First command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second greatest command is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You love God, but you don't love your neighbor? Uh-uh, nope. go back to uh, C, C.1, because you ain't getting that one. If you love God, you will love your neighbor. If you don't love your neighbor, you're not loving God like you're supposed to. So our relationship with him, our love relationship with Jesus, will overflow in our love relationship with our neighbor, and that will be seen in our church. The collective, the church as a collective must love Jesus. If the church as a collective loves Jesus, the church as a collective will love each other, and not just each other, because it's easy to love people that are like us. We have to love the people who aren't like us, the people who come in and don't look like us, don't have the job that we have, don't have as much money as we think we, that they should, don't have the skin color they that we think that they should, don't have the job that we think that they should, don't have the family life that, think, that we think that they should, don't have the morals that we think that they should, didn't vote for the right person for president that we think that they should have, don't have any of the things that we say somebody should have. We should love those people anyway because if we love Jesus, we're going to love them, period. And that's the end of it. So if the church is a collective, does not love Jesus, or church members that do love Jesus, rather, lead to churches. Let me start over. Church members that love Jesus lead to churches that love Jesus. Churches that put Jesus first. Not the color of the carpet first. And I think this is a great color for the carpet. Not put pews versus chairs first. And I'm not going to replace the pews with chairs. But those kinds of things that churches fight over and disagree over do not put Jesus first. They put personal preferences first. And churches that put personal preferences first are broken from the vine, put on a shelf, made useless where they wither and die. Churches as a collective must love Jesus. It actually looks like this. It's a circular relationship. As a matter of fact, this would be better represented as a spiral because hopefully we are uh, improving as we go. But I couldn't, I couldn't make a spiral on here very well. But our relationship with Jesus leads to fruit. That fruit leads to obedience. And in some ways is a result of the obedience. That obedience is our love for Jesus. That love for Jesus increases our relationship, which starts, which starts it all over. So now we're producing more fruit and better fruit, which is even more determined obedience, which results in greater love for our Savior, which increases our relationship with Jesus and leads to even better fruit. You see the spiral? If we reverse that, though, which direction does the spiral go? down 
until we have less relationship, less fruit, because of less obedience, because of our, our love not being there. And the relationship is deteriorating, deteriorating even more. And so we produce less fruit, less obedience, less love, until we become a dead, useless branch or a dead, useless collection of branches. Remain in me. Remain in my word. Remain in love. Church, we have no option but to produce fruit. We have no option but to remain in Jesus, in his love and his word, and let that change us. If, as Christians, we are the same today as we were yesterday, we're doing it wrong. If, as Christians, we are the same right now as we were when we came in those doors this morning, we're doing it wrong. If you leave here and you weren't changed, you're doing it wrong. If you get up tomorrow and you don't spend time with Jesus, and I'm not one of those sticklers like you have to pray and do all that stuff in the morning, uh, you know, have your quiet time in the morning. I don't care when you do it. I don't care how you do it, but do it. If you are not abiding in Jesus, if you are not allowing him to change so that that spiral is up instead of down, if you're not allowing your relationship to lead you to love, uh, to, to grow the fruit, and that fruit be obedience, which leads to love, which leads to a greater relationship, you are doing it wrong. Abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Are you trying to leave, uh, live the Christian life on your own? You can't do it. Are, are you determined that you're going to invent the best, newest way to be a Christian? It's already been done, and it's a relationship with Jesus. Are you determined this morning that you're going to get to heaven on your own merit? You're going to work your way there. You're fine. Oh, you don't need all that Jesus stuff. A little religion is all I need. No, a little religion will send you straight to hell. So will a lot of religion. You need Jesus. You need a relationship with Jesus. You need to understand that your sinfulness is not something you can tackle. Your sinfulness is only taken away by relationship. Relationship with Jesus Christ. So this morning, maybe you need to join the vine. Maybe you need to take your branch and graft it into the source. And really connect. Remember, Judas was connected. Judas was connected to the vine. He spent three years with Jesus and betrayed him, sent him to the cross, wept bitter tears, and hung himself. You can be connected. You can be apart and not be apart. Not be grafted in. Not be renewed. Not be saved. So this morning... Do you need to join the vine? Do you need to respond? You have to respond to the gospel. You have to respond to the wooing of the Holy Spirit. Nobody comes to the Father except that the Spirit draw him or her. So you have to be drawn. But I'm telling you this morning, if you're within the sound of my voice, and all of you are, if you're hearing the message this morning, the Holy Spirit is drawing you. He's calling you. Will you come? Will you understand you're a sinner? All of us have. 
sin. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Will you make that recognition this morning? That there's something that you deserve judgment for. And the wages of those sin, the judgment of that sin is death. That's what you deserve for your sinfulness. No, you can't get out of it on your own. No, you can't work your way out of it. No, you're not going to bargain with God. No, it's not going to happen any other way but that you trust Him because the gift of God is eternal life, not through your effort, not through your works, not through your, oh, I'm going to be a better man or woman, not through the amount you give, not through joining a church, not through teaching Sunday school, not through any of those efforts, but you submitting and surrendering your heart to Jesus Christ, our Lord. God proved that he loved you, and he loved me. Because long before I even existed, but certainly while I was a sinner, while he knew my sins, he still died for me. And he died for you. He died for you, of course, knowing what you would choose. But knowing that you might not choose him, he still died for you. Knowing that some of you here this morning, the sad reality is you're going you're gonna to leave you're going to turn off the internet or the TV and you're not going to accept Christ again today. And you're going to say, I don't need him. Jesus knew that. And you're going to do it next week and maybe the next week. And you may never ask Christ to save you. You may never believe. You may never trust. I'm here to tell you that even in your rebellion, he loves you and he died for you and he wants to see you saved, but he's going to let you have your way on that one. And I'm sorry that today, again, you're rejecting him. So I beg you, do not reject him again. Do not put him aside. You do not have tomorrow. You are not guaranteed. He loves you. He died for you. And if you will call on his name, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. Trust him today. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you that you continually pursue us. God, you pursue us as Christians, as believers. You chase us. You call us back. You, you discipline. You reprimand. I thank you that you still want to use us. But Lord, also know the time may come when you put us on a shelf. You break off the branch, you set it aside, and we wither. I pray, Lord, that we as individuals, that I as an individual never get to that point, but we as a community of faith never get to that point either. Lord, may there always be a remnant calling out to you, crying out to you, begging to produce fruit, to be pruned so that our obedience grows our love grows, our relationship grows, and then we produce more fruit. God, someone here today may not trust you as Savior, may not have believed you, may still be fighting and saying, I can do it on my own, I don't need this, uh, this Jesus thing. God, break their hearts to follow you, to love you, to trust you, to see that they cannot do it on their own. Lord, break every heart here for you. Do an incredible work in this place. We beg you today. In Jesus' name.
So what is your decision today? You've got one. Every one of you has a decision to make today. Will you trust Christ as your Savior? Maybe that's your decision. I'd love to pray with you, talk to you about it, explain it to you more. Maybe you need to come visit with me this week. That'd be great, too. Maybe you have other decisions you need to make. You need to follow in obedience and baptism. Maybe you realize you are close to being broken off. You've not produced fruit. You kind of feel like you're withering already. That is a you and God thing. Come to the altar and pray. I'll be happy to pray with you, but I can't do it for you. That is a decision you must make in consultation with God. As we sing this morning, you make a decision for him. Let's stand, let's sing, and let's do business with God as Donald leads us.